civilize the mind, but make savage the body. Chairman Mao. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Officially. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fightcast Episode 3. Uh, I'm Dave. Uh, I'm now going to be joined by a regular uh, contributor to the rest of the series. Uh, my co-host, as of right now, St. Matt of the Destroyer. Say hello, St. Matt. That's me. Hello. Indeed. Uh, well, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, St. Matt, and why you chose to join us on this illustrious and, shall I say, foolhardy endeavor. Well, I am um, a self-employed costumer and tailor. Always in, always in need. Always. <laughs> yeah, always have to be. Um, I also perform with Fearless Comedy Productions, uh, several of their sh- comedy improv shows, as well as um, one of their main partners, Vilification Tennis. Woo, indeed. <clears throat> and uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I'm a regular attendant of Convergence, which I think is where we met. Yes, it is. Yep. And then uh, finally, I do direct a comedy troupe out at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. And what are they called, just for people who uh, are inclined to go out and see us out, out there? We are E. Arroganti. Is, is the clap is the clap part of yes. the name? Yes, yes. <laughs> you guys have got the clap. Dude, cool. <laughs> Sorry, you left that wide open there for I me. I did, okay. Uh, but no, uh, <laughs> seriously though, anybody who was able to get out to the Renaissance Festival should uh, definitely check these uh, cats out. They are the... Um, very uh, flamboyant performers in the red and black costumes, mm-hmm. uh, performing uh, a, sort of a twist, or is it more of a traditional kind of Commedia dell'arte? Um, it's both, I guess. We perform we perform modern and identifiable fairy tales or movies and, and storylines that people know in the vernacular of Commedia. So there's there's stock characters, there's improv, there's idiocy going on, there's slapstick. So, um, idiocy going on is always important. Yeah. I think that a show without some idiocy is a boring show. Pretty, pretty much. So, yeah. Sorry, I'm knocking uh, shit over here. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I know that you expressed interest in me about uh, this in, uh, little uh, project I was putting out uh, back when we were at the Renaissance Festival, and I think uh, I think this is going to be pretty fantastic. Uh, you were also in Human Combat Chess, if I uh, recall correctly. I was. Yeah. Um, Thirteen, two thousand thirteen, I think. Awesome, um, awesome. So, uh, what team were you on? I forget. The dragons. Uh, yes, those dragons. The white and green ones. Yes, the dragons. Okay, yeah, Dan. The, wait, the no, New York the Yankees of the MCCL. Yeah, those guys. Um, yeah, absolutely. Was... Again, for anybody who's local, uh, Human Combat Chess is a uh, a stage combat centric uh, scripted chess show out here in the Twin Cities that we do. There's actually another one in Chicago that they recently uh, started. Copycats. Yes, those bastards. Uh, But uh, think of it kind of like pro wrestling with swords. So we get kind of the most skilled and uh, best best stage combat performers that Minnesota has to offer, at least the Twin Cities area has to offer, who can... (laughs) <laughs> who can get together with our schedule, and um, uh, we duke it out on a chessboard for your amusement, which is, I don't know, I had I had a ton of fun. I thought I thought all those shows were fantastic. We got another one coming up, 
Uh, or Six Elements Theater has another one coming up in July, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. June, Sorry, June. That is June. Probably I'm done. Probably should have had that, like... Yeah, probably should have had on. an actual thing. But check out... Uh, you can check them out. Shameless plug at sixelementscompany.org. Anyway, um, the, the topic that we had today was something uh, that I had in mind as soon as I thought about doing this podcast, which is something that, you know, is a bit of a little... Little known topic in the uh, in the stage combat community, but also in the historical uh, in, in in the historical martial arts community as well, which which kind of surprised me because these guys were really larger than life people. Literally, and I cannot, I, I cannot, I have to look at these guys and tell myself that these actually existed. People dressed this way and went on onto the field of combat in this particular manner. And of course, who I'm talking about is a um, back in the 15, uh, 1500s, uh, early 1500s, uh, when the Renaissance was really just getting going. And you can tell this by the costuming. Uh, Germany was very famous for producing mercenary warriors known as Landsknecht. Um, Landsknecht. Let, let me land shark. They were land, land, shark. land sharks. Land yes, shark. land sharks. Yeah. No, but the, uh, the the lens connect were a very colorful um, band of mercenaries uh, who operated all throughout Europe uh, in the early 1500s. Now these guys were again. It, 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 you see woodblock printings and paintings and other stuff of these guys, and it's really hard to believe that they were real because we think of mercenaries today and we think you know uh, black clad uniforms and. You know, war crimes, maybe, and uh, and a bunch of super serious guys who want to. I guess the, the image that we have of them is that like they're the testosterone is pumped up to eleven, and operator, operator, operator. If so, you those of you who are redditors, like they're uh, like the berserkers of oh, the era. Oh, uh, not quite the same as berserkers. Again, oh, okay. I mean, uh, berserkers were kind of like a. a a certain class of Viking warrior, but like, uh, but these guys were, um, there were entire companies of, of mercenaries who operated for pay, obviously. Um, and of course the certain fringe benefits that come along with sacking cities. Uh, Dan Carlin actually talks quite, uh, talks very well about this in his phenomenal podcast, hardcore history. Uh, and the episode profits of doom specifically, because, uh, as I'll get into a, just a little bit later, these guys operated, pretty much at the behest of any local ruler who could afford them. And uh, not only were they expected to receive pay for their soldiering, uh, but they were expected to partake in the certain fringe benefits of the uh, pillage and loot and, shh, let's let's not mince words here, rape fringe benefits. Yes, expected but, um, to take. They, had, they were expected to take these advantages. Very much so. And, uh, yeah, they... It's like they, one of those use it or lose it kind of benefits of the job. Apparently. Oh, absolutely. I, I imagine if they didn't get the fringe benefits, do you think they would walk off the field just like, fuck this! This is... No, we cannot operate under these conditions. No. <laughs> no, because I was reading that another uh, type of Lounge Connect was... Um, the, 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 their name translates to double paid man. Yes. So, like, they made bank anyways. Oh, a- a- absolutely. And, and and those of a, those of you who may be listening from Europe, which is I, I'm not going to lie, a very slim chance, but it's still possible. Uh, you probably know a little bit more about these guys than uh, most Western Americans do. Uh, but to, to to get into uh, where these guys operated a little bit. 
um, they took they took a lot of their cues from the Swiss. If you ever if you ever go to the Vatican or see um, or see pictures of uh, the Pope's Swiss guard, you're not far <laughs> off. They still dress like that. Exactly. With the <laughs> pantaloons and everything. Red and yellow. And so purple, many pantaloons. Red hats and purple little epaulets. Oh my God. Absolutely. Of course, it, 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 it's really cool too because sometimes you'll see these guys in their period costumes, actually. Uh, you, you'd expect to see these guys at a Renaissance festival. And they're holding, some, in some cases, like period weapons, halberds and pikes mm-hmm. and other things. Uh the differences of which I covered in my second episode about the spear. Um, so there's required listening. Listen to that episode, then listen to this one. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The, I mean, but the Pope's guards, like, sometimes they'll be in that uh, ridiculous gaudy dress and they'll have, like, modern automatic weapons. Yep. It's kind of a... And glocks and stuff. It's, it's kind of a weird anachronism oh. kind, uh, kind of thing. But uh, the Lunds Connect were... They... It, it, it's hard to place them. They they very much had a niche all their own. Lobster cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the views of Saint Man of the Destroyer do not necessarily reflect reflect the views of Fight uh, Fightcast LLC, which is now a thing that I've dreamt up. <laughs> but thank you, Lobster Cunt. I like I'm that. Just gonna... Lobster Cunt needs a disclaimer. Well, yes, well. it does. Trigger, trigger warning, trigger warning, lobster cunt. This trigger um, warning rape earlier, like ten minutes ago. Yeah, I really should have, yeah. I really should have trigger warning this. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. This is just going to be just... No. no. All right, I'm lo- we've lost Tumblr. Past. We've lost Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr is now departed from our listenership. I'm just going to call you on all your male privilege stuff. And it's Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be snarky as fuck about it, too. Good. So this is great. <laughs> Good. Um, but, I mean, th- these guys, think of... You have to start with the costumes, I think, because and, and the and the traditional dress, because it is just simply you cannot imagine professional soldiers dressing this way. But it was that magical period in between the fourteen and fifteen hundreds when this sort of thing was not out of the ordinary. I mean, uh, you, you'll go to Renaissance festivals, for instance, and you see guys or, or gals. Let's not you know discriminate uh who have these what's what's called a puffed and slashed doublet style and so you'll have one color of a shirt or a doublet underneath and then you'll have uh a, a, another color over it which is slashed it's got all these vertical slash marks in it and the lens connect apparently were the people who popularized that style uh it's oh so like the designs of like on someone's doublet they've got Kind of that that crisscross design, yeah. slashed into it, and you can see like red or purple underneath. Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I see I see pictures of recreations of these guys in German uh, towns who sometimes put on their own historical reenactments, and sometimes they'll include these guys, and no two of them look alike. You, you know, you, you'd think that that would work against people in a in a mercenary army kind of setting where you'd want to distinguish who your guys were, but I guess if you saw some ridiculous. Seven foot tall dude in a puffy slash doublet and breeches and a, a, a hat with so many feathers in it. You'll you kind of reasonably yeah. come to the conclusion that yeah. this th- okay he's one of mine. Feathered hats, <laughs> feathered hats are hella intimidating. Uh, yeah, I just gotta say you don't even have to be seven feet tall. No, so no, absolutely. Plume, plumage, plumage. Take take heed of any man wearing plumage. He is a dangerous individual and is not to be trifled with. Or he's a peacock. In which case, just leave them alone because those, I mean, <laughs> they don't jerks. they don't need your shit. They're jerks. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so costume, jerks. okay. So costume, they wore these these really bright 
vivid colors. Why did they wear those kind of colors? Um, because they could afford them. I think so. I think so. I mean, well, every indication about the Lens Connect as a as a class of mercenary, as a group all unto their own in Renaissance late medieval warfare, is that these guys wore their wealth on their on themselves mm-hmm. in the battlefield. I guess maybe that if they went down. <laughs> or something, you know, they, they they fell in the field of battle. They, they they would command a certain amount of respect because, like, oh, this guy came at me with a seven-foot-long sword. Oh, and he's wearing gold chains and rings and ridiculous gold fringe on his, on his doublet. You know, this must have been a guy who earned some money in his day. And, of course, at the end of the day, that's <laughs> that's what these guys were all about. They fought for pay and... They were not afraid to show their status, and you know, they, I, clearly these were just. I would have loved to meet one of these guys. Just bombastic individuals from every indication, and uh, so the, the 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 way that they fought was interesting too. Because I'm not done with the costuming though yet. I oh, sorry, you no, know, costuming well, is very important because we talked about like the the upper torso, mm-hmm. and however, also I've seen a lot of Lanchnecht have. Um, Strips of fabric just hanging off their pants all yep. over the place, like just fringe, like yeah, whoa, fringe or um or just it's it's the 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 extreme one end of slash and puff where there's the fabric underneath and then the fabric on top is just slashed from top to bottom. So there's just so it's just open completely, basically. And that's mm-hmm. uh, now wearing those kind of pants, I think would would not be good in battle. I just with all the hangy frilly stuff, like. Oh yeah, How I mean, do you rationalize that. I mean, with 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 any you know period uniform or or or, or gaudy clothing like this, I mean, you're always going to take some chances. Certainly, <laughs> I can I can only imagine that even though they grew up with them in this uh, in that environment, like the samurai, think think of them. They wore very big, voluminous clothes, especially during peacetime. Sometimes their armor was just this ridiculous rainbow display of colored silks and uh painted leather and all this all this kind of stuff so you know i think the intimidation factor is there but also that like hey if i've lasted this long fighting in these pants you should you should run (laughs) you know yeah look at my fucking hat (laughs) (laughs) do you see there are 12 feathers in this what do you have five you have five feathers You underachiever. Respect. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, it would not at all surprise me to, to, to learn that these guys used their clothing as a way to co- sort of distinguish rank amongst themselves hmm. um, as, as, as mercenaries. And uh, again, it's just, it's, you see, I come at this, I come at these looking at these guys and I'm fascinated by their weapons and, and, and all this other stuff uh, about them, about their organizational um the way that they kind of just did not give a damn uh, about their own appearance, and I actually have a, I actually have a bit of trivia about that, about their. Um, hold on, just a moment. There is oh, now um, I'm, <laughs> what what was interesting about them is that they 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 adopted their clothes from the Swiss. Uh, which again, of course, you, you see any picture of the Vatican Swiss Guards, and you'll see exactly where that came from. Um, and, but they were famous for taking it even further than that. You know, again, fringe, chains, ridiculous hats, neck ruffs, 
before Necrofs. I think they probably made Necrofs a thing. They look like they were trendsetters. <laughs> um, they did not make Necrofs a thing, I promise you. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> because, I mean... Uh, I, I did hear I did hear a rumor that uh, the Lance Connect were the people who popularized the kind of puff and slash style of doublet. Is that is that true, or were they sort of some of the best exemplars of that style? No, they were the progenitors of puff and slash mm-hmm. specifically. Um, my my costume resources uh, for for the Renaissance Festival all attribute that stuff to German mm-hmm. um, nationality and kind of that Teutonic area. So so. Yes, that part, the whole stripey puff and slash stuff, yeah, that was very, that was a German thing to do. That was a Lanschknecht thing to do. Yeah, how did they go from puff and slash to the gray, you know, Nazi uniforms made by Hugo Boss, man? That's quite an arc of progression with, with military uniform <laughs> stylings. I they should go back to the Lanschknecht. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I see so many of these memes online. It's like what, uh, looking at military uniforms from you know ages past, and the the double breasted coats and the gold buttons and all these other things. It's like what what happened to the days when we tried to outfab our opponents? We need to bring those days back. It's true. Two armies simply need to show up on the field of battle, conclude that one is more stylish, and then just go home. I think, yeah, a lot a lot of resources would be saved. A lot of lives could be saved that way. Just model walk. And fantastic makeup. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic All you got is that military... <laughs> all you got is that nighttime look, and that's a bit slapdash. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you, Eddie Izzard. <laughs> ah, thank you, always. Uh, but uh, apparently, Emperor... Uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, Maximilian I, exempted these guys from... What were called sumptuary laws. Oh, oh, see, yeah, then it's totally a set of symbol. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. well, th- the thing is that apparently the reason he did this, uh, may, you know, gave them a pass on their ridiculous outfits was as an acknowledgement of their short and brutish lives. And that is a quote. Oh, um, from Wikipedia, so, so we don't know how <laughs> accurate that is. Oh, absolutely. So I, th- th- that's one of the things that makes these guys so interesting. Uh, as, as, as fighters, is that they survived and even thrived as mercenaries whilst at the same time setting trends for decades in fashion. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's one of those weird meeting points of military history and fashion I would history. Kill for one of them hats, I will tell you. Oh, not me, because. <laughs> no, you don't have one of those hats. No, I don't. Okay, then I Good. won't kill you. I, all right. Do you know who has one of those hats? No, I don't. We have a lunch neck out at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. Let's kill him for his hats. No, no, no. You're not allowed to. Have you actually seen him? He works for one of... Yeah, I think he works for Arms and Armor. Yeah! Yeah. He let me actually borrow the Zweihander. Yeah, he just walks around with the Zweihander and he's got some stripy pants and he is literally like seven feet tall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if... He's amazing. The, those, those of you local cats who, who frequent the Renaissance Festival know pretty much who we're talking about, though his name escapes me at the moment. And I'm sorry to... If you're listening, dude, please don't cut me in half. I appreciate that. I've always been just too impressed to go and talk uh, to him, so. <laughs> Absolutely. But, I mean, uh, no, at, at the Arms and Armor stall in the, in, at the, on the festival grounds, uh, I actually noticed that somebody, that, that this gentleman had... A period accurate Zweihander, and this this is kind of a good segue into the weapons uh, that these guys use. Uh, I'll get to the Zweihander in a second, but what these guys were mainly mainly known for was the same thing that the Swiss were known for, and at this time, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Yeah, yeah, chocolate. yeah. They, yeah. They they, they, fought, they defeated their enemies with chocolate. <laughs> Delicious words. <This> is... <laughs> 
If only that were true. Uh, but <laughs> chocolate aside, um, what they adopted from the Swiss was uh, what were called pike square formations. And, it, and it's really interesting, too, because we all have this image of the Renaissance as a time when warfare was supposed to have become more sophisticated, people were more learned, uh, swords became from these wide, broad, two-handed swords down to these skinny rapiers, and it's, it's nice to have that, I think fiction gives us that a lot, because in the civilian world, that, that, that is certainly true, the swords that people armed themselves with for self-defense did kind of evolve down to this slender uh, thrusting sword as opposed to a cutting sword. Uh, but in the military sense, it couldn't be farther from the truth. You had the tropes of the Middle Ages kind of taken to another extreme, almost almost as much as their clothing did. Um, these guys mainly fought um, mainly fought with pikes, uh, which again, if you listen to episode two, uh, a pike is the same thing as a spear, just incredibly long. Um, Something that you couldn't imagine an individual warrior kind of using on their own, which is why they fought with these pikes and these mass formations, these very blocky kind of think think Tetris combined with a porcupine pushing against each other, and you have some idea of what these Renaissance armies fought each other like. Adorably. <laughs> oh, that would yeah. be the best kind of battle. No, I, just, I just have this image now of a little little hedgehog with a little armor and a, and a sword. Yes. Oh, it's adorable. <laughs> I want one. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, Dan Carlin in his Hardcore History podcast, uh, his series on the First World War, he talks about the First World War as being kind of a historical estuary where one period kind of meets another, and there's this weird time where they kind of coexist for a moment before blending into this later time period and technology advancing, culture advancing, all this kind of stuff. And it seems to me that the Lost Connect were kind of products of that as well. Uh, because they, 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 they fought with spears and big swords and what were called grosses messer. Um, a, a grosses messer. Think of, think of a, a bowie knife or a military, like a K-bar knife only three feet long, and you've kind of got a good idea about what a grossest messer is. I thought they were calling that a Krieg messer. A Krieg messer? Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 is, another, that is another term for it. Uh, def- definitely the military version was known as the Krieg's oh, okay. messer. Well, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a single-edged, a single-edged sword that, uh, and, and messer in German means knife. So these, these weird swords were... Chopping weapons and cutting weapons, not so much stabbing weapons, although I imagine if you, you could if you wanted to. Uh, so it, it de- definitely a departure from what we think of as the swords of the time period being these thrusting swords, you know? Right. But the, these slashing swords, I mean, besides just slashing at bodies, there's also using it to deflect um, the, the range weapons as far as spears and... Mm-hmm. Longer sword and stuff, deflecting those to the side as you move in. Uh, yeah, something else. Yeah, I, I imagine there must have been a, a, a healthy yeah. amount of spear coming into your face. Oh, damn! Let me yeah. swat that aside. And you might want to have a good amount of meat on your blade, I guess, in order to do that. Well, yeah, if and you then, can break it, then thus disarm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so the there we we got we got pikes, we got halberds, we got um. These really nasty-looking halberds, too. I would not want to be in a formation against a bunch of guys wielding these halberds because just, I, I, 
Th- those of you who aren't familiar, a halberd is uh, a spear that has an axe head on it, and sometimes there's a hammer on the other side, or a hook, or... And pointy shit all over the place. Just, oh my god, they're, they just look absolutely nasty. Every- you can just sort of thrust this into a into a mob of people, and you <laughs> fuck shit up, you would. Yeah, I think they, their goal was to get every naked surface that could possibly touch something to be sharp. <laughs> they just look ridiculous. And this is where we get the Swiss Army knife from, people. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 same mentality, really. I mean, one one weapon, a bunch of different uses. Mm-hmm. Um, also makes Julian fries. Yes. <laughs> I imagine, yeah, plenty of guys named Julian probably uh, were cut up and God. fried. No. Uh, but... I, the 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 long pikes, the long spears, they serve to deter cavalry quite a bit. Um, and some of the some of the other weapons that that made the the Lance Connect unique, as opposed to Swiss mercenaries and the like, were uh, a couple of these other very legendary weapons that if you see them, you will absolutely recognize them. the The first one is the what's called a Katzbalger, and like I mean, you've seen a Katzbalger. It's kind of like a um, it's got a kind of a S hilt ring to it, the, like a big S going in a, metal bars forming an S around the, the hilt, so you got kind of a figure eight combination on, on they, they seem to be fairly uniform as that, but what strikes me as interesting is that the, that, uh, these were short swords, they, these were kind of short chopping stabbing blades, and they, they, to me at least, they bear a lot of resemblance to the gladii that Roman legionaries would use. I mean, they'd, they'd have their spear or their javelin, and then they'd have this gladius, and the lens connect seemed to favor the Kotzbalger as kind of a last resort type of weapon. Like, if, if you have nothing else, but you have this tiny little blade, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but they were much feared for their use of it. Um, and, and, and the etymology of the word Kotzbalger is interesting as well, too, I think. <laughs> okay, good. What? <laughs> it just it just sounds like a dirty word. So can... I've just been holding back my jokes while you're trying to actually be, you know. Get your mind on something <laughs> other than cat's balls right now, okay? <laughs> I know that's what you were thinking. <laughs> I, you said it. <laughs> <sighs> well, okay, please explain what is the etymology well, of cat's burger. Well, I mean, all right, and, and the, the, those of you listening who I who 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 don't know me in in real life, the only language that I'm kind of uh workable with apart from English, is German. And so that's why the only the only real uh, correct pronunciations of foreign languages you can really expect from me are in German. But uh, Kotzbalger, it's... Looking at it, because of course you have like older German and newer German, just like you have old English and newer English, okay. you have different kind of... You have different interpretations. Uh, sometimes it was interpreted as... A um, as a brawling blade, a balg, uh, balgen, okay. I think means to brawl. Okay. At least in an, in an older German dialect, and uh, katz, obviously the katzen and die katzen, um, uh, is 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 exactly what you're thinking of. It is talking about kitties. Yeah. So, um, one one interpretation of what the the word katzbalger meant means to brawl like a cat. Okay. So. I guess you lose your spear, you lose your sword, all you got is this short sword stabbing blade, and then you go... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that's exactly how they won their fights. Oh, absolutely. But I imagine if you... uh, Any guy who who actually drew this probably wasn't expecting to last too long. I mean, as is the result when you 
yeah. carry a short stabbing blade as your last resort. You're either stabbing yourself or you're stabbing the five guys who are about to take you down. Yeah, you have to get in really close and personal to be able to use it. Oh, yeah. And they're slashing and stabbing and punching, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what... Which tells us something a little bit about the warfare of the time period, because it is almost as if you have phalanxes forming up against each other. It's almost like we're in the Renaissance, right? We're expecting tactics and weapons to advance, and instead we're going back to ancient Greek tactics almost. Uh, Well, you stick with what works. I suppose. That's true. If it ain't, as, as the famous Lumiere said, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Baha! <laughs> wow. Sorry. So, um, I'll see myself out after this. Oh, thank God. But, sorry, you were saying? No, I forgot. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's totally cool. Um, one of the other, one thing that's important to note about this, and like I said, this is a historical estuary, so you have... Ancient Greek tactics with Renaissance weapons that are significantly more nasty looking than your regular spear, than your run-of-the-mill spear is, you have firearms coming into use for some of the first time in European history at the very Mm -hmm. least. And of course, this is why you're not seeing a lot of these guys in full plate armor, because once firearms came onto the scene, it kind of rendered that a little bit moot. The, The main... Firearm that the Lens Connect would use was called an arquebus, yep. which is uh, a primitive kind of a matchlock uh, firearm. And, and those of you unfamiliar with firearms, there's uh, matchlock weapons were things that literally held a match on the weapon as a triggering device for the powder charge that got the deadly thing going really, really fast into the other person. You would literally have a slow-burning fuse, and you'd see these fuse strings hang off of the off the weapons, and it would slowly burn down. Blackbeard was famous for tying them into his beard, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the match would be burning very slowly. The trigger would simply be a lever that put the match to the powder charge, and boom goes the weapon. Uh, light, later on, of course, you have flintlock muskets, which used a uh, uh, spring flint mechanism that shot sparks into a flash pan which detonated the charge but that's not going to be in use for another couple centuries i don't think i mean uh, how chaotic must it have been using these things having relatively little knowledge of how they worked or uh if they were even safe to use and then (laughs) just trying to integrate them into your battle strategy it must have been incredibly confusing just yeah in the in the in the frenetic pace of a battle just remembering to take it out use it oh. and then you'd probably just have to drop it so you could take more weapons out to continue fighting yeah i mean we we're familiar with uh again things like the the revolutionary war the u.s civil war where weapons not unlike these were still used where it would take almost a full minute to just reload the charge and um get the weapon ready to fire again i i, I I, I don't even know what the training regimen must have been like for guys in the 1500s to use weapons like this. Use this stuff. Don't blow it up. Oh, God. Until you really need to. Can you imagine, like, the number of accidental discharges that when we were just, okay, all right, we're going to, we're going to, we got these new weapons, guys. They're more effective than bows and arrows, except not really because the bows and arrows still have a much higher fire rate and will do so until about the, you know, 1860s. Um, but we're... 
these are going to be devastating to the enemy. They're going to tear apart their armor. It's going to be awesome. Except you have to keep a burning match real close to where you're pouring powder into your weapon. And then, and then real gently get it loaded and then touch it off in the direction of the bad guys. Generally speaking, yeah. Oh, jeez. So I mean, that's probably just like the first, the first volley of weapon that you just try to get some damage into the enemy, um, even though they're far away. And then, you know, that'll take some of them out and make your job easier when they actually come to the line. Yeah. Uh, combat begins. Uh, his, historical sources tell us that the, um, that the musket or arquebus are kind of interchangeable terms for the same kind of weapon at this point. Were uh, at first they composed about an eighth of the total contingent of soldiers, and then later on, as people I think grew more confident and the weapons themselves became a little bit more sophisticated, you had almost a quarter of your entire army being guys trained specifically in the use of the musket. Wow! So, which? Well, that's a rich fucking army too. If they've got twenty five percent holding those guns, like. Again, goes back to showing off your status. Like my man Fiddy said, you know, get rich or die trying. I'm sorry. I apologize to anybody listening oh who, is, who is offended by my, use, with <laughs> by my use of the word Fiddy. Um, it was wrong of me, and I've let my community down, so I apologize. Now, <laughs> like, but again, like historical estuary, you have the first real organized use of firearms on European battlefields, and then you have... That's Zweihänder, mm-hmm. which is my absolute favorite weapon that these guys use. Um, Zweihänder in German means literally two-hander, and what these were, were, I mean, those of you who play video games or watch anime are very used to people swinging around ridiculously sized swords like it was nothing. These guys actually did. <laughs> these the, the swords themselves were... Unbelievable, and is kind of the reason what what got me real interested in these guys to begin with is that oh wait this is the Renaissance and we have firearms now and we're moving away from this period where people are dressing in full plate armor and there are people using swords that are six and a half feet long. Whoa! Like from just the the blade is six and a half feet or just the entire sword is about six and a half feet i mean i i mean i stand up right now i'm about (laughs) five ten so round that up to six feet the sword itself the that i used out at the renaissance festival uh belonging to the gentleman in arms and armor Mm -hmm. is literally that big yep and and he just carries around on his shoulder yep i love that guy exactly like it ain't no thing yeah and Again, just give me a time machine. Let me go back and see these things used in action. I just can't even imagine oh the God. kind of training and the strength it must take to wield these things. You would come back to the present with so many STDs. Or yeah, I, that okay. I wasn't expecting that. I was well, expecting like less teeth. limbs. You have all your hair and all your teeth. Yeah, you'd be yeah. getting play. Oh yeah, I would. Damn, dirty, dirty play. Huh. Get, <laughs> although getting the pox, like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I could be the guy who's like, "Hey, you know, if you take, uh, you know, sheep intestines and uh, wrap them around your ding dong." You know, I don't think we can really go into this tangent. I'm just not sure that it's really relevant to anything that one uses with two hands. Safe sex is important, okay? 
<laughs> and it's been important even in the 15th century. But this is not what we're talking about in this podcast. So I, we, we Can do we get in, back to the sexy stuff? We do, in fact, digress. Yeah, the real sexy stuff. The yeah. gigantic weapons. Now, like... These, okay, these swords, again, if you just, we're going to try and include some pictures of these things in the show notes, but they are at once some of the most beautiful and just brutish type of weapons that I've ever seen. Think of William Wallace's famous claymore, which is supposed to be five and a half feet long, according to legend. These things were six, six and a half feet long, and we have that documented. So we know for a fact people use swords like this. Mm -hmm. I mean... The, 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 their main purpose on the battlefield was apparently to because uh, because warfare was this kind of hedgehog dance of death where you have pike formation shoving against each other. You needed some kind of way in order to break into that. You needed some kind of way to defeat the enemy's defense, which is this big wall of prickly things of death. So you got a big fuck all sword and a, probably a big fuck all guy to wield it. And a big fuck all guy. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you control yourself. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, these these swords were apparently used by these uh, by these uh, Lanskenecht in order to either knock aside or cut off the heads of your enemy pikes, and also to, as I recently found out, um, to guard standard bearers because oh. a gigantic sword that can make these big sweeping cuts can allow just a few soldiers to hold back many and. As a mercenary company, I can only imagine few things more shameful than if your if your standard was taken in the middle of battle. So, this being Europe and this being an age where ego is as much of a driving force as money in in the uh, in the fields of warfare and everything else, you you, you didn't want to let your standard get taken. So you're going to put some really crack soldiers around these guys. I don't know if they were actually on crack. I mean, it might help, but... Flags are super important. Flags? <laughs> I claim this country for Britain. Do you have a flag? <laughs> no flag, no country. <laughs> Thank you, um, Eddie. I'm backed up with this gun that I got from the National Rifle Association. <laughs> yes, we uh, we probably owe royalties to Eddie at this point. We probably will continue to do so. And, yeah. Motherfucker can bill me. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, these were often used to break into pike formations and guard standard bearers. And also, as I found out during my research, that the, the, the people who are trusted with these monumental and monstrous weapons uh, were guys named Doppelzodne, or uh, Doppelzodaten is another, uh, is another way to pronounce that. And that means double soldier or double paid soldier. So yeah, you get one salary for the for the guy and one yeah. salary for the fucking sword. <laughs> the is. sword needs to eat too. Yeah, apparently, the sword has a family. Needs to support it. With fresh blood. Oh god. <laughs> no, I mean, but it just goes to show you how much respect that they paid to guys who could actually wield these swords. Mm-hmm. They paid them double as much as everybody else, and that includes the guys wielding the the damn dangerous as hell firearms. You know. <laughs> so it, it's just it. it it boggles the mind how imagine yourself you're with 20 to 50 of your buddies in a formation and some guy comes at you with a gigantic sword and like 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 what do you do because at that point this guy coming at you is either stupid or really really good with that sword i believe you would you shit yourself and fall down i'm pretty sure that's the correct 
maneuver in response to a launch next coming at in you that, with a spy hunter. In that in that order, yes. exactly. Yes, mm. shit yourself and then fall down into the shit. And then try and cover yourself up with some more shit and yes. so that they don't see you. It's like a, yeah, it's like a bear. Like you just pretend you're dead. And <laughs> <laughs> it will go away. Try and make yourself larger than the German mercenary. <laughs> Impossible. No, these guys must have been huge. And and again, like we, we, we have also this image of oh sorry, you go ahead. No, I have a question about yep. um, how were these weapons carried about? Like, because you can't put a six and a half sword on your belt and expect to be able to move around. Oh, certainly not. I mean, speed or grace. Unless you're like some kind of Falstaff character who's okay with a sword dragging in the dirt, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, I imagine these guys carried them almost because these swords, being as huge as they are, they almost qualify as pole arms in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these fighters, you actually see, um, and those familiar with stage combat and swords will know what we're talking about when we say that a sword has a ricasso. But what, what, what a ricasso is, is that you have the you have the the grip, then you have the guard piece that that goes out to either side, and then you have just above the guard piece, just before the blade begins to get sharp. You have a big unsharpened portion called a ricasso. At least that's what the Italians called it. The Zweihänders, many of the more impressive ones, were uh, they, they were equipped with not just a ricasso, but a pair of hooks or side blades that came out at the end of the ricasso. They were called parierhaken, um, parrying hooks. So if you literally gripped one end of the sword grip and gripped on your other hand just above the grip, onto this ricasso, below these parierhaken, you could hold the sword in a, in a half... Again, what those of us in the, in the know-how would call a half-sword position. But you could almost use that and turn the sword into a short spear. Um, so yeah, how, these carry, how these guys carried them around... Like, I have this image of... Have you ever seen Seven Samurai? Nope. Oh, banished! Banished from the podcast! <laughs> <laughs> See that before next podcast because we're definitely going to talk about that movie at some point. But um, there's a character in that who has a gigantic sword, the, the, the Japanese version of a Svihander, I guess, you, uh, a Nodachi. Yes, but and, how did they carry him around? Well, like, I'm getting to that uh, because this guy carried around a, carried it around. He balanced it on his shoulder as 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 he walked forward. He kind of had the the grip above his uh, you know forward of him, and the blade sort of just. Carrying out behind him, he sort of just found a balance point on the sword and carried it like that. That seems impractical. It does seem impractical, but I mean, how else are you going to carry your pole arms? That's what I'm asking. You know, I just <laughs> do they have squires or do they just oh, strap oh. it to the horse or like what? Like, it's, it's actually it's actually very likely that they did have squires because these guys were known as well. There are paintings and woodblock printings, and I will bring them one up in a second of these guys on campaign with their families. They would take their wives along, their kids, because, I mean... uh, Oh, here it is. Lance connect with his wife, etching by Daniel Hopfer. Um, This guy's got a huge Svihander. Look at that. I mean, he's carrying it on his right shoulder, kind of the blade sticking out behind him like an antenna. Wow, kitty. (laughs) You you can't see this right now, but there are some serious cat antics going on. Um, We're seeing some... Didn't get a picture. There was some, like... that. Cat Assassin's Creed going on, literally just hanging by his claws on the door sill. It was yeah. really impressive, but yeah, uh, not what this episode is about. Strangely enough, uh, unless we're talking about cat fighting, this is true. Uh, yeah, tangentially, uh, real, yeah, linked back. back to the theme. Uh, but I mean, uh, 
the, these guys, um, their wives, their girlfriends, their families would often come on campaign with them because this is how they made their money. I mean, I mean, you, how is there a reliable si- uh, system in these days to sort of send money back to your family? Nope. No, nope. I, I guess not. So no, no you, kind of swallow. Amer- African or European can be trusted. <laughs> can be trusted with someone's wages. Not so. even two of them holding it on a string together. Nope. Damn. The masters uh, will work together. <laughs> exactly. So, um, w- which leads me into another thing is that uh, uh, d- that supported this idea that these guys went on campaign with their whole families because, again, this is their livelihood. They they, they need support staff. So, what? Who who better support staff than each individual mercenary's family? Because they didn't have anything better to do, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> Is Daddy going to battle again? Do I get to watch this time? Shut no, up, you don't. Get... <laughs> Stir your gruel faster. <laughs> we live such a hard life. Bank while your while your daddy goes around with his gigantic sword and his gold chains and his puffin slash. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, but like um. Uh, again, uh, Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History Podcast, which is one of the inspirations for doing this podcast, he has an episode called Prophets of Doom, where in about 1534-1536 era, the German city of Munster kind of did a Waco, and they hold themselves off from the outside world and practiced a kind of uh, fundamentalist Christian communism. It makes sense in context. But the, the ruler of the city, Munster, had to put his own city under siege in order to stamp out this heresy that was going on inside it. And, you know, there was supposedly uh, polygamy and, you know, uh, oh, shock and awe. child marriage and all this other unsavory Ugh. stuff. And, and it was, it was, it was totalitarian. You, sh- you should listen to that episode. It's called Prophets of Doom. But anyway, um, many, many times some people would slip out of the city because they began starving to death. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, uh, the, the this ruler of this city called the Prince Bishop didn't really want these refugees either because that's more mouths to feed and I guess maybe he wanted to set an example. So there's this kind of no man's land in between the city walls and the Prince Bishop's lines and these refugees, they go out into it, they're starving and the Prince Bishop doesn't want them so they kind of just wander around until they starve to death in this field outside the city. But of course, uh, he talks about some of the mercenary soldiers, many of whom were probably unsconnected themselves, who put, uh, who were employed by this local ruler in order to retake his own city. Apparently, a lot of their wives and girlfriends were took so much pity on these refugees. They came out and slipped them food when they could, which you know was probably frowned upon very, very much so. But um, it, yeah, again, like uh, I said, because they have nothing else better to do. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because I mean, the, the the troops themselves weren't doing a whole lot of fighting. When you're starving out a city, there's that really, there's that when you put siege to a city, there's the really uh, intense, dramatic moment at the beginning where you try to storm the walls, and if that doesn't work, then you're in for several months of just waiting till they die from not having enough food or water. So that tends to be while it gets the job done. Not very exciting from the, you know, mercenary soldier's point of view or their families. So um, I'm not surprised at all that many of these people tried to do that. Uh, it, it's, it's really a pity that, that the Lons Connect aren't more well known as, say, you know, other... I, I, maybe it's because mercenaries get a bad rap, you know? Because it's, it, it's somehow okay to fight and kill in a battle 
for a country. For but an idea. For an idea, but if you want to do it just because you're good at it and that's how you make your living, we suddenly view that as not so great. I mean, when in reality, the, the outcome is the same. I mean, people are fighting and dying and killing on a battlefield. It's, it, does it really matter why they do it? I suppose it does to, to, to many people, but it, it's, I guess it's one of those conundrums of human warfare that we're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out. Because in the modern day, we have a lot of controversy with uh, private military outfits, you know? Yeah. Um, Blackwater, for instance, you know, they uh, many of their operators were put on trial for war crimes in Iraq. Well, because they were illegally doing stuff. Oh, yeah. That's the thing, is like, Launch Connect were operating legally within their system back then. That's true. So it was an occupation, whereas... Mercenaries now are are going undercover, doing things illegally, doing doing sneaky shit. Mm-hmm. So um, for money, but uh, so to to kind of I don't know, just just prey on the 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 civilian society and um, uh, kind of. I have no idea where I was going with this. No, no, no. I, just, I completely get what you're saying. Mercenary, they just now they have a really bad association. Whereas back mm-hmm. then it was just job occupation. Right now it's you know it's seen as something bad. I mean, you could argue in certain places that just saying that you are in the the U.S. Army, you yeah. will get a, you will get a bad rap. That that so, that is true. Or even nowadays, especially with police. But you know that's that's a topic for another podcast, definitely. Um, now, I mean, I wonder that. I wonder if these guys, being as huge as they were, owed a lot to the economic times. Because you're kind of coming out of this feudalism where... Um, what do you mean by huge? Well, not, oh. What do you mean by huge? Oh, I, I mean, uh, these guys were very popular and very renowned throughout Europe for their skills in battle. Right, but then you just said that they're kind of a, a little known... Oh, I'm sorry. They, 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 they were huge at the time is what I mean. I mean, these guys were very well known at the time. Nowadays, we don't know quite so much about the... The Launch Connect are not so much in our popular culture nowadays as they... As other, like, say, <laughs> knights are a huge staple of our popular culture, and musketeers <laughs> and those other people. Again, people fighting for countries, for ideologies, for what we, what many people would regard as more legit reasons than just getting paid, <laughs> right? Um, so, again, it's it, it, with their costumes. I think we need to bring these guys back into the into the uh, uh, public eye. Um, <laughs> But an important thing to consider is that back then the and, – and you can also – Dan Carlin, again, he's going to explain this a lot better than I can. He he, he talks about this in Prophets of Doom. Is he paying you for promoting his shit? Because he should be paying you. You should absolutely not go to dancarlin.com and you should definitely not check out his podcast, Hardcore History. Um, <laughs> I, I – I would like a check at some point. That'd be nice. <laughs> no, um, but 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 he 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 kind of talks about this. How when the when the Renaissance was kind of getting underway, you had a re- a weird thing that upset the social order because it used to be feudalism. Peasants worked under lords, and that's just how the way it was. And then when money kind of became to be a, a a driving factor in the society as opposed to nobility, you had a lot of nobles who didn't have a lot of money to their name, but they had that noble title. But, of course, now that you can increase your status 
through money as opposed to birth, that opened the door for guys like this. That opened the door for Lundsknecht and, and before them the Swiss mercenaries in order to make a name for themselves and increase their um, sta- standing in the eyes of society, but they did it through their actions and through some really bloody work as opposed to having it kind of handed to you at birth. So, um, so yeah. I think that... Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to cover as, with regards to these guys? I mean... Well, it's, I do have a question about, um, yeah. like, you, you mentioned the Siege of Munster. Yeah. Uh, are there any other, like, historical battles where Lanschnecht had influence or, or were a big part of it? I am. They, um, they were apparently active during the sack of Rome in what? What, 1527. Damn. Um, and, uh... <laughs> Apparently, uh, 6,000 Spaniards under uh, Duke Charles III of Bourbon. Ooh, I like me some bourbon. (laughs) I'm a Duke of Bourbon. I I, I got bourbon like, whoa. Please continue. (laughs) All right. So Charles III, Duke of Bourbon, uh, led an army of the Holy Roman Emperor uh, towards Rome and sacked it. Um, These... There were uh, during uh, during the course of this battle, f- there were fourteen thousand Landsknecht under a guy named Georg von Frunsberg, who is um, th- that's a hell of a name right there, Georg von Frunsberg. Gesundheit. Uh, yeah, exactly right. Uh, he he's often regarded as the father of the Landsknecht. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, they are attested as deployed in the armies of Kings John the Third of Navarre. And successor Henry II of Navarre during their campaigns to reconquest Navarre. Um, <laughs> Wait, they, they they are of Navarre and then they lost Navarre. I think, so they yeah. They back and fight for Navarre. They step away from Navarre for five minutes and somebody else is there. How can you call yourself, you know, I'm Henry of Navarre if you don't even have the Navarre to begin with? Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, before that, uh, or... Um, let's see, the Imperial Lance Connect were instrumental in many of the Emperor's victories, including the decisive Battle of Pavia in 1525. Uh, this is only about ten years before the Siege of Munster. Hmm. Um, the same year they also managed to defeat the Peasants' Revolt in the Empire. Ah, the Peasants' Revolt is an interesting thing, because you had the social order being upset, fueled by the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. and you had... These nouveau riche peasant types who were able to mass produce things like cloth and I believe they call those the merchant class. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. You had you had mercantilism was a thing apparently. I I, I was in I was in middle school, um, but um, so y- you you had money getting into the hands of these low born people, upsetting the social order, and um, after a while. People are just going to question, like, why do we have to work under this lord? Why do I have to be confined to this area? Why can't I make my own living? Why can't I sell my cloth and, you know, form yeah. a corporation? And Yeah, uh, fuck the system. Exactly. Let's let's form corporations so, because that's, uh, to, to be honest, though, if you owned a corporation, you were considered outside the system for a while. Is that um, what they called guilds? Yes, yes, okay. guilds, corporations, uh, yeah, they didn't call them corporations at the time, but they, they were, as we understand it in the modern age, pretty much corporations. Um, and a lot of these local rulers, they didn't have huge standing armies all the time, so they would hire people like Lundsknecht to put down these peasants' revolts, and um, in, in, a, in a rather spectacular and flashy fashion, 
I imagine so. It's just how, how do you stand up against somebody like that in with the seven foot sword and the gold fringe you and know? the fabulous hat and the fabulous? We keep forgetting the fabulous. Well, I keep forgetting the fabulous hats. You're Same. clearly reminding me of how important the hats were. Um, we have a theory uh, that uh, we do. Well, I have a theory, okay, good. I guess. Sorry, I, I kind of included you in this, but you know that uh, history is, and especially religion, is just one long arms race of escalating hat technology. That uh, the second somebody has an awesome gaudy hat, somebody's got to come out with a better hat. What comic did you steal that from? I, I, I did not, actually. I just noticed okay. how hats were a huge driving force uh, okay. through okay. European fashion. You must be clever, then. I I. I guess so. All right. But, um, uh, I mean, the, these guys, as, um, as other, as other companies and, uh, fighters came into dominance after the Lunskin kind, of, kind of had their, the, the, the early part of the 1500s, 1500 to about 1550 was when the Lunskin were at their height. That was kind of mm-hmm. at their zenith. And then they were, uh, it's, it says here, their status also suffered from the rising reputation of the dreaded Spanish tercios, which, however, were far less abundant and more expensive to train. It should be noted that when serving in southern Europe, Lundsknecht were still considered as elite troops. In the army of the Dutch rebels, many German mercenaries were hired, but were forced to give up many Lundsknecht traditions in order to increase their discipline and their fighting abilities. Aww. So it's like you have this weird trade-off where we want to be better fighters, but we have to... Dump some of the gold fringe and the hats. Um, yeah. So, I so it gets you paid. I, I know. So, I so I guess in in terms of that, the Lanskanet, as far as their decline went, it wasn't so much that their skills were not needed, but a different kind of skill set was needed. They just I, kind of developed into this yeah. other genre of soldier. And and of, and of, and of course, you could still see uh, echoes of them today, and and of course, the, in the Swiss Guards. Uh, many many of these mercenary companies were loyal to to rulers up to a point, to the point where they were traditionally employed in many of these people's armies. But if they got a competing offer from elsewhere, I imagine that that must have had raised some kind of awkward bidding war yeah. uh, with these guys. So just um, like corporations today, exactly. So I guess we were going to sum up these guys uh, and sum up the lesson that they could teach us is if the if you if you're good at something, don't do it for free. <laughs> yeah. If you're, right. if you're good at killing people with a seven-foot-long sword, don't do it for free. Make sure you get your pay. Make sure you get your fringe benefits. Make sure you get your gold fringe and your puffin' slash and your fantastic hat with the plumes. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, I, uh, I, I think that just about sums it up. Manna, do you have any other thoughts? No, I'm good. I think we learned something today. We did. It was great. Hats. Get them. Show your status through them. And by God, get some plumes in there. This has been Fightcast with David and Mana. Uh, join us next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer. <laughs>